0: This is a crowd podcast. Welcome to the Fertility Podcast, where we aim to educate and empower you on your fertility journey, whatever stage you're at. I'm Natalie Silverman, a broadcaster and fertility coach, and I had my son
1: after successful fertility treatment. And I'm Kate Davis, an independent fertility nurse consultant. We'll be your trusted guides, chatting each week with experts and people just like you to let you know you're not alone. Let's dive in.
0: Welcome to another episode of the Fertility Podcast. I have my smile on. Kate's (laughs) laughing at me. Um, This always makes Kate chuckle. It's quite funny. We are speaking part of Men's Health Week and this episode about male fertility is one of many. We talk about this often on the podcast. It's a very important topic for us both. For me in particular, it was our experience and you will see in the show notes for this episode links to other episodes that we've talked about male fertility. So please do go and check them out. You're going to hear a conversation with a fertility expert, Professor Sheena Lewis, and a guy called Sean who has been through his own fertility journey. To really give you a kind of two sides of the story, what the experts say, and how I suppose somebody going through it is dealing with it, Sean had to use donor sperm to have his his family, and that in itself is a whole huge thing that he shares on his Instagram account, which we are putting details of in the show notes when it comes to this conversation, Kate about male fertility, how do you think we're doing? I mean we've talked about it quite a lot each time we have the conversations. Do you think it feels like people are feeling any progress or people are still feeling? frustrated
1: about how this topic is perceived? I think there's two ways of looking at it. I think what is great is that men are sharing more and talking more. And as we know, we've got celebrities like Rod Gilbert who are doing so much more in the space. That's brilliant. What we haven't got, and you know, this really frustrates me, is we haven't got the joined up working between fertility clinics and urology who look after men's fertility and men's health and that is frustrating because it means that men aren't being seen as equals to women when it comes to fertility and therefore that what that means for women is that they have to go through the invasive procedures such as IVF and ICSI when it's a male fertility factor mm. and that it shouldn't be the way what we you know if you if you had a a disease an illness a condition you wouldn't not be diagnosed Assessed, treated, that wouldn't happen. You know, you would have all of that done. But for men, there potentially is a a factor, male fertility factor, or there's even a diagnosed male fertility factor, but they're not examined, they're not treated, they're not diagnosed. And these things are really frustrating. We need to get better at this joined up working. And that really, really frustrates me.
0: Well, you'll hear a similar amount of frustration in our first guest, Professor Sheena Lewis's feelings. It's a brilliant conversation. So make sure you keep listening to the end because you're going to hear Sean after Sheena and we'll give you all the details of how you can get in touch with both of them and us at the end. So enjoy. So we're now going to welcome Professor Sheena Lewis to the podcast because we want to talk about sperm DNA fragmentation, which is one of the conversations we often hear when we're talking about malefactor. With the fertility podcast and professor sheena lewis is from examine lab and is going to explain more about how sperm damage can happen and what the tests can show so first of all sheena welcome to the podcast we, we spoke a good few years ago and um it's lovely to have you back
2: Indeed, we did. And it's a pleasure to be here. And yes, as well as being the CEO of Examine, I'm a professor in reproductive medicine and I've been working on novel tests to identify male factor problems for the last 25 years. So, yeah,
1: she's a well nervous. aware of this <laughs> That's Good to hear. <laughs>
0: Well, we know that sperm counts are on the decline, don't we? So we want to make sure that those who might be struggling to conceive know as much as they can. And in the time that this podcast has been running, which is now nearly seven years, the male conversation is still one that needs so much more attention and so much more research. And do you feel that more attention is being given to this conversation since you have been working in it?
2: Yes, I do believe so. I do I do believe that um, we're making progress. But like your last speaker, Vanessa, there is so much more to be done. And even if I dare say it, the fact that we still call it male factor infertility always bemuses me as if there's only one factor that could possibly be wrong with sperm because there are lots and lots of factors. So I take away the word factor, and I call it male fertility because there is such a range of issues. And I, I take entirely your point that sperm counts may be dropping, but there's also another issue, and that's the quality of the sperm that men have. Because if you think that a man can produce 500 million sperm per ejaculate, even if they drop into half that amount, he's still got quite a lot of sperm. But I think the other issue is that the quality and the DNA in particular is getting worse. And you're going to ask yeah. me, why?
3: Yeah. Why?
2: What's wrong with sperm? And I think the answer is that 21st century living is just not compatible with good sperm. I think there are so many things that we bombard our sperm with, which really aren't very good for them. Now, there are lots of them that we can't do anything about, you know, like environmental pollution, like air pollution, like being much older before we, we have a child. But There are lots of things that we can intervene and make ourselves really fit for fatherhood. And those are the things that I think we ought to be focusing on and we need to get the message out there. And I've certainly been trying to do that throughout my career. And I know a number of others are doing the same to say, Men should be center stage. It's couple care. It's not women care. It's couples. And it's it's even previous generations. You know, it's it's, it's grandparents who want want these children as well. So we really, really need to do everything we can to stop emasculating men and bring them into center stage. So if we go back to
1: basics, Sheena, if we just talk about Mm -hmm. the sperm test, not DNA fragmentation test yet, but the sperm test, semen analysis, what can... Mm How useful is that to a couple or to a man? What can they find out that can then help them make those changes?
2: Yes. Well, that's the gold standard. And that's the first thing that a man needs to do. He needs to have a semen analysis. And the semen analysis will tell him three things. The first one, how many sperm he has, because obviously he needs to have sperm if he's going to become a dad. The second one is, are they swimming? And the swimming gives an indication of their health, because if they're healthy, they can swim. If they're not healthy, they can't swim. So that's a a, a sort of a real time indication of health. Are they swimming? And then the, the last one is how good looking are they? Because, you know, the egg likes a good looking sperm. So we look at the structure of the sperm and that's called the morphology. And we know that the sperm that are properly formed are the ones that are more likely to fertilize the egg. So those are the three things that you get from a semen analysis. And yes, that's absolutely critical that those are the first tests that are done. But what you're not going to find out from your semen analysis is what's inside the sperm. And that's what's really important because once the sperm fertilizes the egg, it's the DNA that's going to make that man's children look and act like him. And they're going to be like their dad because of his DNA, not because of how many sperm he had or how well they swim or how good looking they are on the outside. So that's the difference between the two tests. And that's
1: really, thank you for explaining that so well, because I think we, or there is this perception, isn't there, that a man will have a sperm test, semen analysis done, and that's it. That's all they have to worry about. Do you think that we should be doing more DNA fragmentation testing than we currently are? Yes, I absolutely do. But
2: I mean, I'm not here to sell my test. I'm here to try and and give you an overview of all the things that a man ought to be doing. And one of the things I would say is that fertility clinics are female focused. And the reason why they're female focused is because they're run primarily by gynecologists and gynecologists have spent their training looking at women and all the things that are wrong with the reproductive health of women. But What we need to do is to bring urologists into the picture. And those are the doctors who look after male reproductive health. And we're not just talking about fertility here. We're talking about the health of men. And so I'll give you an example. Just you you were saying there, what more should a man do? Well, 25% of couples who go along to a fertility clinic are given a diagnosis of unexplained or idiopathic infertility. How awful imagine you went into any other specialty and you went along and said, I'm having a problem. And they said, well, I'm sorry, we don't know what's wrong with you. So th- this misnomer of unexplained infertility, as if nobody knows the answer. The problem is we just haven't searched hard enough. And that's because men have been so left out of the picture. Now we in our, in our I mean, I'm also a professor in Queen's University in Belfast, which is one of the, the Russell Group universities, you know, the top, top 10 in the UK. And what we have shown is that 40% of men who are given a diagnosis of idiopathic or unexplained infertility have DNA damage. So that may not be the only answer, but it's certainly one thing that's wrong so with big sperm. Percentage. And with that
0: in mind, because that whole unexplained piece mm. is something that you know we, we hear from so many couples that that's their, their diagnosis. Why isn't then that fragmentation test done at that early stage when we know that it could be part of the problem, do you think? And I know there's going to be cost implications. I know that there's a cost implication, but we we know there's more conversations. We know that more and more couples, I haven't got a stat, but more and more couples are getting this undiagnosed diagnosis and the frustrations around it. And it's only when yeah. maybe they're seeking out something like this podcast where we're going, well, have you t- have you looked at male factor? Not saying that we're the only source, but they're yeah. not getting that when they're having those initial yeah. conversations either with their GP or at the fertility clinic. I know. I know.
2: Well, I, w- I would just go back to you know, the, the point I made before, that we're not really thinking enough about men. And if a man has a normal semen analysis and they say, yeah, you've got enough counts, they're swimming, the morphology is okay, you're fine and you're not the problem. And then they start focusing again on the woman. And this is so totally unfair because all the pressure is put on the woman. And if you think about ICSI, something like 25% of women who have ICSI treatment are fertile. The problem that they have are male problems. And of course, they go through ICSI and they go through it absolutely willingly. There's no question you know, of, of, of any lack of consent. But if there were a therapy for men, then you know, if we could improve the quality of sperm, then we wouldn't have so many ICSI and cycles.
1: I, I saw your face actually when Natalie asked you that question. And you obviously alluded earlier to the fact that there is this reluctance, this reticency for joined up working between fertility and urology. Mm. And that is part of the problem, isn't it?
2: I think so. Because if, I mean, men don't have a clinical examination. Now, 40% of men who have fertility problems have varicoceles, which are like varicose veins on the scrotum. Those can be repaired by an outpatient procedure. And six months after they've been repaired, the men's DNA can improve, all the parameters in his semen can improve, and the success rates will be higher. So even if he's going for ICSI, would it not be better to have a simple Outpatient procedure for the man rather than the woman getting 101 different tests, some of which are very dubious, some of which are wonderful. So, why don't we treat them equally? Why can we not have equality in fertility care? I I really find that quite difficult to understand. So, first of all, the man could have a clinical history done. You know, did he have mumps when he was a child? Is it possible that he had orchitis and that the the sperm aren't being produced by one testis? First of all, we need a diagnosis. If we have a diagnosis of unexplained infertility, we're not going anywhere. So if we get a diagnosis and we find out what the issues are, then we can put the man back into control. We can give him the position of power over his own health and allow him to do what he can, whether it's lifestyle interventions or going to your urologist and having surgical interventions or whatever it is he needs to make his sperm optimal before he has So the fragmentation test, Will give enough information yes.
0: for a man to potentially have a path, a care pathway for X amount of months to then retest to see if there's been an improvement to then either have success naturally or then maybe have success with,
2: limit, with less rounds of fertility treatment is the ideal. Yes, Natalie, I think, I think that's absolutely correct it will be an additional test to semen analysis, which will put him in a much better position to decide what he needs to do next. Now, the other thing is that we know nutrition is very important for all of us. And I'm sure you, like me, have meals on the run, buy takeaways all the time, particularly during COVID. And we probably have a calorie rich, but nutrient poor diet. And that's true of lots of men. And so, to look very carefully at your diet, although it's something so obvious, and, and, and try to improve your diet. Now, the reason why I say go and see a nutritionist, or maybe I didn't, <laughs> but I was about to say go and see a nutritionist, is that taking too many over-the-counter antioxidants is not good. It can be like a double-edged sword because you need to, you need to know whether or not the person has got oxidative stress, as it's called, before you have a, a solution to that. Now, if you don't know that you have a problem, there's no point in trying to fix it. So, the first thing is to have a DNA test, see if, if oxidative stress is the problem, and then have, you know, vitamins which are prepared specially for your, your problem. I mean, I, I talk to people all the time, talk to couples, and usually, you know, you talk to the chap and he, I say, are you taking antioxidants? And he says, uh, I'll ask my partner. And then she comes on the phone or whatever, and she mm-hmm. gives you like a list which goes on for 10 minutes of all the things that they're taking. Now, some of those may be very useful, and some of them may be an awful waste of money. So I think it's important to get expert advice. And that's where, again, a urologist can, can guide you into the whole area of what the man ought to do to prepare yeah. himself. And we've for talked in
0: detail with urologists and we've talked with nutritionists. I mean, Melanie Brown, who I know is someone you're talking to, she talks about the benefits of the Mediterranean-style yeah. diet for men. And we'll put all yes. links to those podcasts within
1: this chat because I think it's really good for people to have more they can listen to. Are there any particular supplements that you recommend over others? Well, the basic A C and
2: E, the ACE vitamins are very good. We know that the vitamin E is really, really good. It's a fat-soluble vitamin. It stays, you know, in the fat in a man's body and it's it's released slowly. And what happens, I don't want to get too technical, but what happens with reactive oxygen species is you can get a chain reaction that just gets bigger and bigger and bigger. And vitamin E can just step in and stop that cascade. So getting something like vitamin A can be really useful for all sorts of of health issues as well as as fertility problems. And if people are listening, Sheena, and they've
0: come to this Mm -hmm. this conversation about sperm DNA fragmentation and maybe they've been trying for a while, they've had semen tests done and maybe there is an issue or maybe they've got the unexplained diagnosis or maybe they've had a loss because we also know that there is a link between miscarriage and sperm DNA fragmentation
2: how much awareness is there with that would you say well this this is something quite new Natalie i mean the the first review that we published and i was a co-author on it was in 2012 and you know in in medical light years that's <laughs> that's quite a short time because it takes, it takes doctors a, a long time to change what they're doing. Fine, that's, that's true of every, every specialty. So what we showed was that there was a male contribution to miscarriage. Now, that was an absolute shock because since the days of Adam and Eve, we've always thought that anything to do with miscarriage was, you know, the man produced a sperm. He got the woman pregnant and thereafter, everything that went wrong was hers, her problem. Now, that's not the case. We know now that there, and we published another paper on this just last year, we know that there is a very strong link between DNA quality and spontaneous miscarriages and recurrent miscarriages both after natural conceptions and assisted conceptions. So, you know, what more do you want to know in terms of how close that relationship is? Now, that has now been taken into two sets of international guidelines. The ESHRA guidelines, which are the European Society for Human Reproduction and Embryology, and also the European Urology guidelines, saying that a man who's had recurrent problems with his partner, Ought to be having his DNA tested. So, so there's the evidence now. It's been taken into international guidelines, and that's absolutely fantastic. Is it now routine? Mm. I do. No.
1: I recommend that to all of my patients, but I know it's it, it's not routine yeah. at all. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Well, that's sad, but that'll just be time, and that'll just be people like you and yeah. me constantly and talking about it. And ultimately, what we're
1: trying to do with these
0: conversations is give people the confidence to ask mm. the question about it, because we now oh. we we know now that yeah. more and more clinics obviously offer the test. And it's just a case of people, if, if they are met with resistance, Sheena, what would you say if if a couple are going and saying, well, can't we have this? I mean, ultimately, they've got to pay for it, haven't they? So they mm. should be able to get it.
2: Well, that, yes, that's exactly right. And I was talking to Fertility Network in Wales last week about this, about empowering men. Because not only is, is someone a patient, but they're also a client. And, you know, especially when you're paying and, you know, maybe 60 percent yeah. of, of couples are paying. Go into the consulting room and be proactive. Don't be passive. Don't just say, okay, 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 to everything that's said to you. But say, well, you know, I've heard about this and I I would like to have this test. Can you organize it? And I know clinics phone us and say, say, oh, patients are asking for this test. And we say, fine, we can do it for you. So there's no doubt about it that if patients are asking for a test. Now, I'm not saying that every test that a patient asks for is good for them. There's some add-ons which are clearly a waste of time and money. But if there's something which has got a solid evidence base, then I think the way to, to get it is to ask for it. And lots of people don't ask because they don't, as you say, they don't have the confidence. And secondly, well, we have a we have a relationship, a doctor-patient relationship where we often go go along with whatever's told to us. And that's fine.
1: You know, they know an, an awful lot more than we do. I literally yesterday normally. from a patient who I'd, I think I'd seen and had I definitely had seen had undescended testy as a child, and was now struggling mm-hmm. with um, fertility, and again unexplained. And I suggested that he went to his GP and um, asked for a um, referral to the urologists, which they didn't want to do. Eventually, they did it. He eventually had a scan, and he's got a varicocele. They mm-hmm. were able to advocate for themselves to get to that point, whereas if they hadn't, they would they would still be struggling now. And they're so pleased that they pushed and had the confidence and felt empowered yes. to do that yes. to have then hopefully yes. move them on their fertility journey. And then they come to the next barrier of, yes, okay, well, right. okay, you have a varicose, now what are going to do about yeah. it? And obviously we know that not, not a lot of varicose surgery is occurring and not as much as I feel that probably there should be in the country. So mm-hmm. they're, they're facing another barrier now, but hopefully they'll get through that.
2: Well, I'm delighted to hear you say that because I've heard that from a number of couples who've said they just kept knocking and knocking on the door and eventually Absolutely. they found it was available. Absolutely. We need people to push, yeah. to push harder. Yeah. Sheena, thank you so much, as always, for your very concise
0: words of wisdom. And yes. we will be speaking more and we will make sure uh, that we put all the details to how people can follow what you guys are doing because I know you're doing all sorts of webinars as well, which is really brilliant. And we'll make sure that um, we encourage our audience to feel empowered because that's ultimately what, what this information sharing is all about. So thank you so much. Absolutely. Thank you. My pleasure. I felt like we flew through that conversation with Gina, but we will be talking with her more. As I said, I'll put all the links to other conversations that are of relevance. But it's so interesting every time we have a male conversation, how frustrated the experts are talking about it because they've obviously been fighting this case for such a long time. And they're still up against the same barriers, Mm. aren't they? The same amount of resistance, which is just not not, And I feel that
1: frustration every single day I speak to a couple when they're just not getting anywhere. I've had that diagnosis of unexplained and there's possibly more to it, but the man isn't being looked at. And I, I feel that frustration equally. I just don't know what we're going to do about it other than the fact that we can only keep advocating for our patients.
0: And I suppose it's just hoping that we can keep sharing these types of conversations because it is just mm. an awareness piece. But if you're listening and you want more to back you up, then do check out the show notes. Make sure you keep listening to the end of the episode to hear what Kate thought of that chat with Sheena. And next up, we're going to be speaking to a brilliant guy that I've met through the power of the TTC community on Instagram. It's just me because Kate wasn't able to join us. And he is called Sean. Now, he has an Instagram account called Knackered Knackers, which what I will say is that in terms of how an Insta could tell a story, Sean has nailed it. So do go and check it out, because we're not going to talk all through his story. I'm going to talk more with Sean about why he set up the account. But first of all, welcome to the Podcast.
4: Hi, hello, and thanks for having me, and thanks for your kind words. Uh,
0: Well, we managed to talk. We tried to talk the other day, and I'd made a big faux pas with not clicking the right button stupidly. So thank you for your patience.
2: (laughs) You're
4: welcome.
0: We were just having a lovely little chat before I started recording, which is testament to what you've created, Sean. Like I said, do go and check out Sean's account to to hear the whole story because you and your lovely wife have had success. We were just saying how we both had treatment at Bourne Hall. But tell me why you decided to set up the account and share everything because you, you pretty much documented it in its entirety, sure. haven't you? Uh,
4: yeah, so I decided when starting the account that it was going to be warts and all because I think it's important that anyone's looking for who needs support and is looking for it. Is aware of the full journey and just it's not an easy ride and it wasn't certainly wasn't for us and i I just wanted to put it out there because that that's i want to create that support for others to know that they're not alone others do face the same problems and the same difficulties in conceiving
0: you actually had mumps which is really interesting because we know that there's an issue when mumps are kind of in the mix so did you know When you were trying, when you and Jenna were trying, did you have an idea that that was there an awareness that mumps could play a factor in this?
4: Yes, Uh, when I I got it uh, and the key factor of when I got it it was post puberty. So in my early 20s, which is the the, the kind of the risky period uh, fertility wise. And um, it's always been something that was in the back of my mind, but I never had any, any tests or anything. I wasn't advised to by any medical practitioners after having it. So then when it came fast forward a few years down the line with uh, to my myself and my wife trying for a family well, it didn't happen after a few months we were acutely aware if I had that uh, I'd had that issue and so we we sought kind of medical assistance quite early on really
0: And you've actually had a number of operations haven't you and actually the day we're talking exceed health who are one of the other accounts that I'm always talking about we've had them on the podcast before they've shared that that lovely picture on their Instagram account. And I just take my hat off for you. Just describe the picture. We will we will I'll put it in the show notes as well. Um yeah. because that that must I mean that's that's you pretty vulnerable, isn't it?
4: Yes. And I think uh still under heavy heavy sedation, which is probably why I'm smiling and I've got my thumbs up. And I never
0: would have agreed to having a picture taken. I
4: know. I was completely out of it I think. But um yeah I I just had at that point had a micro operation which is where the uh, the testicles are actually surgically opened and a urologist will search for sperm direct from the testicles that was actually my second operation I'd also earlier that same year which was 2019 had a varicocele embolization which is um, it was only under local anesthetic but um, I had a cluster of tubes above my left testicle which was potentially also causing uh, fertility issues whether it was from the mumps or a separate issue in itself. But varicose is it's, it's like varicose veins. They're the big bulbous and they overheat the testicles essentially. So that was an aim to try and shrink those and restore things to their natural temperature with the aim of um, of naturally increasing my sperm count from zero to something. I was told there was about a 30% chance of that one working. Uh, and unfortunately, that, that didn't do anything as it happened. It didn't shrink the varicose seal for me in my case. So then, yeah, move, we moved on a few months and I underwent then the more invasive micro T Z, which, uh, yeah, it took a, it, it was very, it was, it was hard going and it took a lot to recover from.
0: And mentally, when you're having these types of invasive operations and the implications of what it is all about, the ability to talk openly about it with your peers, how were you coping? I, I know that I'd seen some of the early posts you'd had like you and the lads on holiday and I imagine there's a real closeness there were you able to talk about this stuff whilst
4: it was happening or was it after the event I wanted to talk to someone but my my friends my close friends who and we have been since we're all from primary school none of them had any fertility issues they'd all conceived had children naturally as open as we are with each other as far as I suppose blokes can be or but there's always room for more I think especially um conversations are, are getting better these days about a, a lot of aspects with, with men mental health etc I didn't want to speak I, it's not, I didn't want to speak to them I, I needed to speak to someone who, who knew what I was talking about who could empathize with with the situation that I was in so I, I just sought accounts or websites anything for male infertility and there was just nothing about it at the time I wasn't in a place where I could talk about it as openly as I can now and I just I needed to speak to someone and I just couldn't find that support, unfortunately.
0: Now, we were chatting just before I hit record, you were saying a lovely story about a, a guy that you've met through the fact that you've been now opening up and you had the first kind of face-to-face chat with somebody talking about your experience and helping this guy share his experience. And so now you've got first hand experience of, of the power of this support because it's so vital, especially when as we know blokes don't often talk about this kind of stuff anyway and when they can't find somebody that they can totally relate to and 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 it's so isolating isn't it
4: It yes yeah it was and and that's absolutely what i experienced isolation my my wife and i had spoken to each of our mums but and that was as as far as it had gone really and i just wanted to speak to a, a chap really and um this guy recently he contacted me via my account. And as it happens, we live quite close to each other. So we met up at a local pub and I went there thinking I was going to be helping him. And because obviously I, I've got to the point where I'm uh, I'm able to speak about it so openly now. I uh, have our beautiful twins, which were born three and a half months ago via donor conception. I'm now as comfortable talking about my fertility struggles as I am, for example, what I had for dinner last night. As it happens, it was as good for me to go and, and meet him. I got as much out of it as I know he did. And we, we've we been messaging since and we will meet again. And so from that meeting, I, I just, I've decided to try and get more people together. And actually tomorrow, uh, which will be, I imagine by the time this podcast goes out, it would be sometime in the past, but I've been running my first, what I'm referring to as Azuspermia Anonymous.
0: Uh-huh. Uh, but it's...
4: Um, the alternative like it, AA. Exactly. Yeah, uh, So... Uh-huh. and and that's what i've said to anyone who wants to come along you don't have to give your name you don't have to say anything about yourself you can just come you don't even have to talk you can just listen if anyone else wants to talk and just about the journey any questions people may have and um so i'll be waiting i've just predefined a place a meet time and place i'll be there and i hope other some other chaps will turn up too
0: well we'll be sharing this as part of Men's Health Week and we'll put links to your account and people can keep tabs on because I'm sure you I'm sure it will have been a success and I'm sure you'll do more. I think it's really interesting how you talk about how much of a help it was for you despite thinking you might be helping the other guy and I think for anybody listening who might be listening in retrospect that maybe they've been dealing with male factor for a while it's worth thinking about that it can still help even after you know, I know you've talked about having success. We went through male factor. We, we've got a little boy who's six. But I know that my other half hasn't ever really spoken. He's spoken a little bit. He's been pushed by me um, at times to speak. We went and sat in front of Jonathan Ramsey, an amazing urologist. And my husband didn't stop talking. And I could just tell he was so relieved to be able to have a conversation with somebody that understood and could talk the language that he wanted to hear. So I think that's a really important thing for for you To to think about, if you're listening to this, thinking, "Oh, actually, maybe this is what I need," because there's still, do you think, Sean, a reluctance for guys to reach out and ask for help with this?
4: Absolutely, I think people you need to be ready to speak as well. Because my wife did uh, for a little while try and push me to speak to others, my friends, for example, who we are, we're all very close, and but as I said, I I wanted someone who who experienced the same, and 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 I think she then she realised I wasn't. I couldn't find that support and I wasn't ready to speak to other people so I eventually got to that point myself and since putting out myself out there I've spoken to me- like many people mostly through messages who are experiencing the same as I said with that meetup but that's exactly why I've started this account because it is an isolating place to be for, for a man who men as we kind of alluded to don't talk about this type of thing there's a, a shame a secrecy attached to it perhaps. Um, and by normalising the conversation and getting more people talking about it, it opens it up. It not, and, and it, it makes it something to not be ashamed of. It doesn't make you any less of a man. And that's something which I, I try and put out a lot. Is that that it just creates new avenues of of manliness of, of being that support f- for your wife when she starts going through her side of fertility treatment, which is, as you all know, it's, it's, it's takes a huge toll on, on on a female physically being there at appointments and just and, and coming to terms with such a something of trauma such a, a big thing in your life that is just such there's so much strength in that and, and it's, it's showing that you can be vulnerable but strong with that.
0: What would you say then to anyone listening because I'm not going to talk about the whole donor conception decision I know you've done brilliant conversations with Becky for the Past the Parent Hub and I know that you're openly talking about the impact of of how you know that feels and I want to send people to, to look at your account to, to talk more about that. But for anybody listening who is wondering about how to cope, what would your words of wisdom be?
4: If you can, talk. It's been massive for me. But acceptance is, is key. And I think it's, it's important to know that acceptance is a choice. It doesn't mean that you have to like what's happened. Absolutely not. But it just means by choosing to accept something, you stop wasting energy and emotion on on hating it or being angry of it. You you can then redirect that energy in, into becoming, in my case, like a, a more free and open person with my wife and now with the children. And 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 you can then redirect that energy to yourself as well and and just and move on, so to speak. But as I said, you don't have to like it. It's just learning to live with it.
0: And have you got to that place by having some therapy or some counselling or has this been a bit of self-development for yourself?
4: It was very much self-development. Uh, it was a slow process. I, I started listening to podcasts about just kind of um, mindset and just self-improvement and it, it just opened up a whole new avenue of of, of my mind really and uh, mm-hmm. listening to stories of other people who had faced extreme adversity no matter what it was, whether it, f- kind of physical accidents. Um, Henry Fraser for example his books his first book uh, the, i think it's the little big things or the big little things was huge that that really set me on a, on a path of of just um acceptance of being just being happy with myself and in whatever form that that takes you know what everyone has struggles it's just about working on it i mean we we had we did have therapy prior to um actually moving forward with the donor selection uh, having donor sperm which was born hall suggested to us which we accepted and that actually, was you have it, to
0: have implications counseling don't you that's
4: right yeah and it, it was it was really good and but she was actually very impressed with my wife and I and our attitudes because we had processed this ourselves and by this point I had become a lot more open and was able to talk through with my wife prior to this meeting and we had just done it ourselves really and, and but I had to be ready to talk about it and ready to move forward and once I reached that stage, it was huge. It was, it was lightening and the weight shifted off my shoulders. That's so
0: good to hear. And I'm so pleased that, that you are happy to kind of share it and the Insta account is is gaining traction. And like I say, we'll put we'll put links in the show notes. Thank you for just giving us that little insight into how it's been and best of luck with the support group. And I look forward to seeing, I have no doubt that you'll be doing more of them. Um, yes. And, uh, and it's really good to hear that, you know, you're getting something positive out of it as well that maybe you didn't realise you needed
4: yes definitely and and I myself i having thought I was past this again like if anyone wants to come to the support group, it could also give that other perspective of someone who's been through male factor infertility and, and perhaps adopted or or moved forward with donor sperm, then absolutely everyone like anyone's welcome it's 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 not an exclusive club <laughs> it, it just have to be male and and, and experience some sort of, of infertility. everyone has different experiences, everyone has different paths that they've taken, and it will help someone to talk about it.
0: Thank you so much, Sean. It's been really nice talking to you. Thanks for having me. I mean, Sean, bless him. I think he's got such a brilliant account of sharing his story. As I was saying, I really want you to go and have a look at what he does. Um, He's knackered knackers on Instagram. <laughs> and I think that just his openness, as he talked about, and the fact that he's now kind of doing his own support groups and he's himself even still benefiting from it, is so important. So I really hope if, if male fertility issues are what you're dealing with, that this is something that, you know, will really help you. And you just love chatting with Sheena, didn't you? I mean, she's
1: she's brilliant. I and mean, we will be talking mm. to her more on the podcast, but there was a lot there, wasn't there? There's an awful lot there. And yeah, so interesting. And, you know, it's conversations that we've had before as well, isn't it? And those frustrations are still there, but hopefully it's, and as, as she says in her chat with us, that actually it's people like us that are advocating for couples that are really helping to empower men and women to ask the right questions and ask for the right tests that they deserve. And that's what's important. And maybe that's what will get us changing things. Exactly. Keep the questions coming in. We're going to catch up
0: with Dr. James Nikapoulis now in our Ask the Expert session. And don't forget, you can always email your questions to info at Ask the Expert. Ask the Expert. Ask the
1: Expert. Ask the
0: Expert. Ask the Expert. My husband lost one testicle at 19 due to testicular torsion and nearly lost the other one for the same reason, but they saved it. Is this likely to have an effect on fertility?
3: Really good question. The answer is impossible to know for definite, but quite possibly. And I think the key is if he hasn't already, whether you've started trying or not to perhaps get a semen analysis done, and then you'll know definitively. Hopefully it'll reassure completely and it's not a problem. But at least if it is low, you know where you are. And again, depending on how low it is, it gives you an idea of how long to try naturally and what you need to do. So the answer is yes. If, if the blood supply on even the one remaining testicle was affected for a, test for a significant amount of time, then it could have had an impact. You can get testicular and ovarian torsion. Both the testicle and the, and the ovary have got a, a pedicle that, that supplies them. And in essence, if the ovary or the testicle twist on itself, those blood vessels get blocked off and the blood supply to the testicle or the ovary is limited, and that can cause necrosis and basically kin off tissue.
0: Ask the expert. 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 So we'll hear from James again next week. Don't forget, you can follow us on our socials. I'm at Fertility Poddy. And I'm at Your Fertility Journey. Thank you, as always, for listening take a moment go on I dare you to give us a review we always hop on about this but you know it makes such a difference to us and to other people choosing what they're going to listen to to see what you think so if you have got time just to grab your phone right now and leave us a review especially if this episode has struck a chord with you if it's been helpful and it's given you some things to think about we'd love to hear about it just do it in Apple Podcasts it's the easiest way to do it we'll be back with you next week so until the next time Crowd Network Crowd Network A place where you belong.